Well, most people are talking about this pause in the J&J vaccine, which is certainly going to uh, put a, a, a bit of a hiccup in the speed with which the country can get vaccinated, as it was one of the three vaccines were available, now returning to the two, which take longer to administer and are both two shots. Arnold Monto is with us, professor of epidemiology and professor of global public health at the University of Michigan. He's joined us before. Dr. Monto, good to have you back again. Nice to be back. So uh, what is the tipping point that someone decides, okay, we need to take a pause on this vaccine? Well, there seems to be a relationship of this vaccine to a kind of uh, brain thrombosis, uh, very unusual. And it's only been a handful of cases, like six, in the United States associated with this vaccine. But the trouble, uh, the worrying thing is it's similar to what's seen in Europe with the AstraZeneca vaccine, and they're made in a very similar way. And therefore, there's concern that there is a relationship here. Well, the... uh the problems that people have been having have been with blood clots, correct? Can you can you detail that, that a little bit is more? That's right. That's right. Uh, and and again, it's occurred very infrequently, one in a million shots. So, if we only had this vaccine, I would say this frequency of side effects is so low that people should still get it. Get it. We have the other platform, the mRNA, the Moderna and the Pfizer, and that's, those have been given to multi, multiple millions of people with almost total safety. So right now we have to make a decision about whether this vaccine is going to continue to be used. They're going to consider it an advisory tomorrow. FDA uh, has also uh, is also looking at this in terms of how they are going to respond. It may be that we will continue to use it with a warning or a limitation to some population groups. We may uh, start using it again. The frequency is very low. Well, not just the frequency being low, but also it seems like uh, it, it only struck women and women within a certain age group. So is it possible, as you, as you just uh, sort of suggested, that perhaps they would come back with it and say, okay, we're not going to use this on women from 18 to 50 or whatever uh, out of an abundance of caution, but, but men right. and people what, older, we could do it. It's been seen in men in Europe, the AstraZeneca vaccine, at a lower frequency than in women. And what they've done in a number of countries in Europe is exactly that limited to older individuals and to say if you're younger don't get it and uh, when when these blood clots occur are they fatal are they fixable they have an unusual mechanism the usual treatment and this is based on studies they've done in europe there they now have an idea of why this is occurring not why the vaccine is producing it, but it's probably something in these individuals who had this problem, uh, some kind of an autoimmune or something problem beforehand, and the vaccine just triggered it. That's what you think 
immediately when you see something that's such a low frequency. There's something about these individuals that make them different. And uh, they're working out the therapy. The usual therapy they use, they would use, doesn't work very well. So we have the advantage now of knowing how to, how to respond to this. I remember in the uh, Moderna, I believe, there were some cases in the in the testing phase where they found cases of Bell's palsy in a number of patients, and uh, they looked into it and they determined, no, it's 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 not something to be concerned about because if you took the total population, you'd have the same number of cases. As, right. as you did in this, is is there a chance that this could be that with seven million people vaccinated that you would have gotten this kind of number anyhow? There, as opposed, there to- is a chance. Chance and uh, the Pfizer vaccine had the same weird thing with Bell's palsy. Uh, and when we looked at this, and I uh, I, I chair the advice, FDA advisory for all these vaccines, right? And when we looked at that, we were concerned and said, well, we better follow up, and it hasn't shown up. When we looked at the J&J vaccine, we, there was one episode that looks a little bit like what is being seen here. And again, we said, well, it's not one episode. We better follow it. And the take-home message here is the follow-up is so good, we detected this at very low frequency, and now we can respond appropriately. So people who might be criticizing this saying, well, you see, this is the result of rushing and we're having this happen because they made it too fast. What would your response be? It's not a question of rushing. We would have the same problem with the usual clinical trials, which only involve thousands of individuals. We wouldn't see something that's going to occur in a million, one, one in a million. We've seen this with other vaccines. Everything we do to ourselves, drugs, vaccines, there's always a low probability that something's going to go wrong or that some people are going to respond in a different way than most of the population. And everything is risk-benefit. And we know what the risk of COVID is. We know how people don't get better for a long period of time, even after a mild case. So the benefit of the vaccine is very clear. And I can tell you, family members of mine are getting their second dose of the, fortunately, of the Pfizer vaccine. We don't, so we don't have to worry about it, even, uh-huh. even this week. Are you, is the FDA and the government worried about the disinformation on this, though? I've seen some crazy stuff on the web the last day or two, chips and everything else. And maybe it sounds crazy, but some people actually believe this stuff. Will there be a, a government effort to make sure that the truth is out for this? The, the government's been working on this for a long time. I was, I, I, I was interviewed by somebody. All I could hear, all I heard about was chips. And I wouldn't even know how you could even that there are better ways to get chips into people than, than to put it into vaccines and said, I don't even know how you do that. Uh, but there, yeah. the, I think there are two classes of, of, of uh, vaccine hesitancy. One where they don't want anything. No matter what you tell them, it won't help. And others where you give them the right information and it will convince them. Well, and but this, this, had, is, this is not going to help. 
this uh, this uh, episode, it's unfortunately. Gonna it's, it's not going to help. Gonna help. Do, do people who have gotten the J&J, uh, Dr. Monto, uh, I am one of them. Uh, you know, I, I got the J&J vaccine. Uh, it's now three weeks. Um, I understood that most of this happened within six to 13 days of getting exactly. the vaccine. Does that mean that people who have passed that point or uh, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, don't need to be nervous about every little uh, pain they get that uh, they're out of the danger zone? Absolutely. And the question is going to come up since the Johnson Johnson vaccine doesn't give quite the level of protection that you get from the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. What about a second dose? And that's which may get the protection up. And we'll see where things evolve by then. We may start recommending that you get the second dose, one of the other vaccines. A, a second dose of the Pfizer or the Moderna to go with the yeah, J&J. Exactly. exactly. Hmm. There's is no that, a, is that around the corner? I haven't heard that before. Uh, not around the corner because we want to get everybody vaccinated first. Right. Well, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully the J&J will be back online soon to do that if, if we have been so. a limited form. I want to thank you, Dr. Monto, as always, for coming on with us. Always very informative. Appreciate it. 